Hey team, welcome to episode 59 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Well, we've talked about associate agreements before, but this time we want to talk about what happens when associate agreements go wrong. There are a lot of terms and some of them are not important, right? If you've listened to other episodes that we often say the associate agreement is merely a means to get to ownership. So let's not be too picky, compensation, et cetera. Let's move on. But there are absolutely times when you need to protect yourself and you need to pay attention to those terms. And so today we're going to dive into those. But before we do so, Mr. Charles how are you today? Oh my God, I'm doing great. Uh, this is so exciting, Christy. I mean, you know, YouTube blows up on spring breaks that go wrong. And here we are today talking about the super exciting dental transitions that go wrong or dental associateships. My kids make so much fun of me. They, they're so, they give me so much crap about just like my dental field and communication and talking to dentists. It's quite hilarious. So it's funny that me and you get all worked up on the dental associateships that have gone wrong. So these are like kind of heartbreaking though sometimes. I know. They are. They are. That's what we're doing them. It's like a missed opportunity. And I don't know. It's crazy. So before we get started, clearly, like we see a lot of these, not only from buyers who are looking to buy their first practice, but we also, as you know, we do lunch and learns and dinner and learns at schools. If you're listening and you need someone, we're doing those via webinar during COVID times. But if we could ever fly again, we'd love to come to your school. But one of the things we say often during those, and we haven't done it as much, is we do review associate agreements, right? For those that aren't ready to own yet or need to do an associateship or want to do one first off. And so that's part of that complimentary kind of overview and just being a resource that we do. So we'll look at those for you from clearly we're not attorneys, but we'll look at them. And so these things are things that we oftentimes focus on um, that we're going to talk about today because we think of associate agreements in terms of ownership, right? We're always thinking about when are you going to own and we read these in that context. So one of the first questions we'll ever ask you if you send us an associate agreement is, is there an opportunity for ownership? What is your plan for ownership? Do you want to live here? And then that kind of guides our conversation. So we've just had a few, I say these happen probably at least once a month or some associate agreement discussion regarding kind of a transition, but we've just had some other ones. And when we were thinking about this component of a transition, there were just a few big stories that kind of stood out in our minds. The first thing I want to cover is non-competes, both time and radius. Go ahead and refresh everyone's memory of what our general rule is about non-competes in associate agreements. Yeah. So the first thing, I just want to know your story, you know, where you're from, D4 resident specialty. Why are we going to this practice? How long you're planning on working there? What your plans are for ownership that you talked about? And then why you need cash and all that. That's, that's step one. Step two is now going to be what's your non-compete. And the reason I want to know about where you're from and all that, because the non-compete could be 15 miles and I may not care you really want to end up in North Carolina and you're going to go to Kansas. I don't care that it's a 15 mile non-compete. If you can tell me you're never going to live in Kansas for the rest of your life, no matter what, if this doesn't work out, you're going to be the next car ride or airplane out of Kansas. That is not a problem. I am not as concerned. 95% of people, that is not the situation is they work, you know, that they go to dental school in a certain area, they go to residency in a certain area. They move to a certain area for a reason because there's some type of family or opportunity. And so at that point, I am concerned about the non-compete. And then I need to figure out, in my opinion, just like where that is. This is a small town of, you know, let's say 20,000. You're going to go back to that. More than likely, that non-compete is going to cover that entire area. So I'm super concerned 
about any non-compete because I believe that you're bringing a value coming back to that area. Where it gets a little tricky are those kind of 100,000 communities, 300, 500,000 communities, and all of a sudden it is a 7, 10, 12, 15 mile radius. A radius is obviously on both sides, a complete circle from that. And so you need to make absolute crystal, crystal clear, sure that you literally are on a map and you're Googling and drawing a circle and figuring out where that you can or cannot go. I have so many like examples of this going wrong in the last 30 days that I'm literally like, when we're talking about podcast ideas, that we're freaking talking about the associate non-compete because somehow some part of the way, somebody's not listening. So doctor recently passed away, guy lives in the community, million dollar practice, it makes 400, easily could have purchased it. Non-compete was for the entire area. Penalties were crazy, which you'll talk about. Couldn't buy it. Guy recently did this GPR program. He's in Tennessee and he's showing me this one location. I'm like, no, 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 nothing about this excites me. Find me something else, find me something else. Forgot to tell me that his non-compete like drew the circle and literally based on where the water was of like this little section of where he wants to buy and everything else around it, that was the only area that he could actually work for in the next two years in that area where they had already bought a home. Now I don't really have an option. I have to help him buy this particular practice because he signed an associate agreement that a non-compete is going to be you know, enforceable for that particular state in the area. So just always focus from the beginning, not just on the compensation, but start to you know, making sure you're looking at this and saying, what's the worst case scenario if this is upheld? What's the worst case scenario? And that's what we really need to look at. And a general rule is I prefer that when you're working someplace as an associate, that ideally that is not the place that we're going to end up basically trying to get a job if that thing fails. We are looking at other places. That's just your income. And we're focusing marketing on a different place outside of the reasonable radius in that example. Yeah. I also want to add, if we talk about corporate or you know that type of associate agreement. I can't tell you how many times I've also been talking to someone and the agreement, the way it's written, will basically say your non-compete is for any location they have. And if you see, like if you're talking about a huge corporate chain, they could have a lot of locations. And inevitably the person I'm talking with assumes that because they're only working at one, it will only apply to that one. And these people have had success going back and having it restricted, right? But like, if you don't ask that question or highlight it legally, right, that is what the document says. And I'm not an attorney, but we look at enough of them to know that's true. And so, you know, keep in mind that these corporate associate agreements are always going to probably start out as broad as they can, right? And it's your job to kind of hone those in. You know, imagine if you truly did sign something for, you know, here in Texas, Mint, right? And you couldn't work within a certain radius of any Mint office. Like that could be a really challenging thing to overcome and might cause you to have to drive outside of something that's reasonable for a long period of time until you could actually own something near where you want to be. So it would be reasonable as maybe a three to five mile radius inside maybe a Dallas major metro city of that particular location. That is reasonable on your side and their side. The reality is you're not going to go and start working at these practices and then somehow you're going to leave and these patients are going to follow you. It's just not reality. It's just there to protect them so that you don't leave them kind of high and dry. So I understand where they're coming from. I understand from the seller's perspective of why. 
they have the non-compete, but on your side, it's your job to understand as a buyer, we want to get out of this thing if something goes wrong and prepare for the opportunity for ownership. Because in the end, an ownership opportunity is going to come your way. You're going to be frustrated with working for somebody else in this capacity and you'd be constantly building an exit plan to get out of it. Yeah. And that that same concept goes for probably any just multi-location practice, right? It doesn't have to be corporate. It could be like a bigger office. If your patient pools are crossed because they're all kind of close together, then oftentimes they'll just have to be lumped together. But if you're working in a rural area where the practices are really far apart and you only worked at one, right, then you can kind of have it written where it's just for that one and maybe even have language where if you work a certain number of hours or, you know, you do a certain amount of production, then it begins to apply to whatever that office is, right? You understand that a seller wants to protect what they've built. And if you are working in an office, they want that to be something that, that protects you. But if you have someone who happens to own a bunch of offices on a whole side of the state and you never work in those and your agreement's written poorly, then you're going to kind of be there. So just pay attention to it and look at it and understand also where the seller's coming from and see if there's a way maybe you can adjust the language that could kind of maybe be a compromise between what's been proposed if it's too far reaching and what you're asking for. Yeah. In general, as an associate, we're talking about ideally one year in the non-compete, maybe as much as two, definitely nothing more than two. And then on the radius, it would depend on the specialty and location, but a general rule for, you know, kind of a major kind of metro city, anywhere between like the three to five mile radius to maybe, you know, kind of a smaller town to protect that doctor. Maybe it's a five or six mile radius. And so my general thing is like to look at where the practice is and to be able to see where 90 plus percent of the patients are. And I just don't want my associate have the ability to go and market to them, but also don't want them to be there for five or six or seven years and go literally next next door. And that we, we need to protect the seller. That's their kind of livelihood that they've built. But we also don't want you to sign something that just simply just mails it in. You don't look at it. You sign a seven, 10 mile radius, three years, and you're a pediatric dentist, you know, in the community where you can set up from scratch anywhere and you're going to go build a home and just... We get frustrated on our side because we see opportunities you want to buy. And then you're like, well, I can't because this non-compete. So it's just, it's sad and makes us frustrated uh, when we see you in this these situations. Yep. And I'm going to add one seller caveat here. If, you, if you're a seller listening, you know, sometimes, especially in maybe small towns or rural areas, we'll have a buyer who's concerned about a non-compete because maybe there aren't a lot of options and they want to kind of go back and they, maybe it's a partnership scenario where they're like, I think that this is going to be my home and I'm going to buy this, but like, I've never worked there. We don't work well together. You know, I'm not sure if we'll work well together. I'm not sure if this dating is going to be a match. You know, sometimes we will suggest that there be kind of like a grace period in an associate agreement where let's try this for three months. And if it doesn't work, we'll cut ties and we'll all be fine. Right. Sometimes sellers are hesitant to put those in. And I always try to say like, look, like the non-compete is there to try to make sure your relationships and your patient pool is safe, right? If an associate starts in your practice and they aren't doing well and you're going to let them go, they probably haven't forged a lot of real tight bonds with your patients or staff to kind of steal any away. And so it's probably pretty safe as long as that window and that grace period is short, right? I'm not talking nine months a year or anything, but if it's a 60-day window and the intent is partnership and you just want to make sure that, hey, does this work? I can very much be open to kind of that grace period. So if you're a seller listening and a buyer suggests that it has to be the right scenario, it can't be, hey, I'm going to be referral based and there's a huge referral campaign. I'm going to introduce you and all of that. But in certain type of practices, that can be something. So don't, you know, don't immediately squash it. If it's put forth, kind of do think about it. It might be a good solution. 
I'm a 50 year old guy with 2000 active patients. I've taken all the CE, I've got the market, the brand, I've got just patient loyalty. I've got a team that's incredible. And I get a young 27 year old in the practice and they basically check hygiene for three months, have bad clinical skills. I am not worried that they go down the street to work at corporate. They can go next door. They are not taking one of my patients away. And it's just because I'm confident that what I do is fantastic. And I don't need to worry about that. You don't want to get in this argument over the three months or this or that. There's a little bit of risk on both sides. We're going to have to give a little bit here or there. And that's, I wouldn't mind giving a 90 day clause in there that the kid can go down the street if if he needs to be, because he's from there. I've got no problem with that. But I agree, there needs to be some type of line in the sand at six months. You kind of need to figure this out, both buyers and sellers. And the non-compete is going to be in play, is going to be for X months or something. And then I'd put that back on the buyer and the seller to have a transition plan so that they can, you know, if we're worried about the buyer signing something and there's not kind of a laid out plan, it puts pressure on the seller to put the plan. Now the buyer can walk if the seller's not doing their end of the deal. Absolutely. Okay. Another thing you alluded to earlier, and that sometimes it goes along with non-compete, sometimes it doesn't, but usually there is a notice that you have to give if you want to terminate your agreement, right? And so that notice period, I would say the most common for, you know, and specialty might be a little more, but generally that 30, 60, 90 day, right? Some kind of notice period where, hey, I'm going to give you enough time to let you know. Generally, there's some relationship with scheduling and how far out your books, because again, we're just trying to make sure patients are covered. We recently have seen a couple that were incredibly long, like six month notices, which is really leans more towards, I think, a partnership agreement or a more complex relationship. And those notice periods, sometimes we don't think about it. We just say, okay, and we move on. But again, that a notice period has really kind of stopped someone from purchasing a practice because it was too long, right? Like I had to give too much notice and my selling or my you know established doc is not going to let me out of that notice period. And therefore I don't, our windows for transition meet up. And then the damages is another thing to think about. Like if I don't give the right notice, what do I have to do? And again, we had a scenario where a notice period had to be given. And if it didn't happen, then there were these significant financial penalties, like so significant that again, had to walk away from a transition opportunity, which was really unfortunate. Yeah, this this particular deal, again, it was a corporate contract, but it was like, okay, we're going to charge you, if you leave before six months, we're charging you headhunter fees. We're charging you all legal fees. We're charging you the profitability that we're going to lose on the practice. So if the business was making 300 grand, $25,000, we're going to charge you that per month for every month. We're going to charge you this. We're going to make you pay for these attorney's fees and this and this. I mean, it just scared the crap out of the buyer. I mean, scared the crap. And I get it. And I'm like, why the heck did you sign something that had that many penalties in it. It's just absolutely crazy. And it's sad because he, this guy so wanted to buy a business, but he can't get out of it. And it's been a full episode since I talked about dating. I got to have a dating analogy in here, but can you imagine you live with somebody, you live with your wife, you live with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or husband. And you basically say, I want a divorce and I'm going to be here for the next six months. This is not going to be good. The next six months are going to be hell. You know, the next six months, perhaps get, if I'm corporate and you give a notice, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm immediately going to put somebody else in that practice. And so now I'm going to decide what's good for me. I'm going to find the right person. And maybe I don't know if they're going to be good or not, but I still got you on the hook for your six months and you haven't even get her or not. 
I'm putting somebody in there and now I'm going to drive down your production. Now you're not getting paid. It's all these dominoes are just going to happen. And that's what is smart about that corporate contract. They have hooked you so deep that you can't leave. Now they're making 300 grand and you just, you're stuck, you're stuck and you're stuck and you, you're, you're not really sure what to do. So just be so careful. You have the leverage as the associate. It's the few times you have the leverage is before you sign that agreement to ask questions and to try to figure out what's reasonable and fair. And signing something with six months and all these penalties and all these contingencies and lawyer's fees, in my opinion, is absolutely one-sided. And you just happen to sign the wrong side. And I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we've also seen one of those corporate agreements where not only were there damages, but then if they purchased something within a certain amount of time after leaving they got like some share of interest or profitability or something. Was that, am I making that up? Yeah. And you're, you're, you know, we're reading these legal documents. I'm like, is that really what that means? Is that, you know, how do they enforce that? You know, and, and the reality is you sign something. And so now you've got a corporation that's worth, you know, either millions or, you know, perhaps a billion dollars, depending on what entity that you quote unquote are working for. And they now have corporate, you know, six figure, seven figure, maybe attorneys that, you know, are on retainer to basically stick it to you. So, yeah, uh, we've seen these crazy clauses that don't even make sense. I've never, I don't know, never heard it, seen it enforced. But uh, again, let's spend money trying to make it, figure it out for sure. Yeah. It's just something to essentially scare you from walking away from the deal. So it's come up a bunch of times here in the last just 90 days. And, um, we still want to help these these people make the right decisions, but I don't want to be the guy that tells you to get out of something and, and then now you're stuck with penalties of interest and lawyer fees, you know, to try to get out of something that maybe turns out to be a really bad deal for you. Yeah. And I would I would also say earlier you kind of said, Hey, if you're in Kansas and you have no interest in ever being in Kansas again, then I don't care about these things as much. And I agree, but you know, I've I've also would say, Hey, let's still not agree to things that are real dumb and, and I'm gonna just be super blunt about that. Because we've also had a situation where, you know, you're in Kansas and you have no interest in staying and you meet the love of your life. And now we're in Kansas, right? And now something that we thought was never going to be applicable is applicable. And so life can turn on a dime and things that you can never imagine happening will happen. And of course, you cannot plan for all of those things, but you can remove things that are, you know, the 180 day notice period, because even when you're ready to go, no one wants to give 180 days or whatever that number is. So did you just bring dating back into this? Was that you? Now? I mean, you know, when it fits, it fits. It, it's just that's yeah, you've rubbed up on me, Loretta. Have you ever heard I'd moved to Kansas and met the girl from Kansas and I had to marry? I mean, I, that's typically, I mean, I don't know. There is. I, I hate hearing my Kansas people, but, you know, uh, okay. <laughs> We're going to assume that if you do meet that Kansas girl, uh, yeah, the non-compete is going to be very, very important. So you're right. You're right. Even in Kansas, we need to make sure. Always make sure. And we'll help you. Well, that's it. I mean, we just wanted to cover some of these like big pieces again and hit home on these because, again, I think that, you know, we we focus so much on transition here and so much on ownership and we just really want to remove all those barriers. And sometimes these associate agreements is the barrier to finding that practice that you want. And so again, come to us early, research that, make sure you're being smart, kind of being forward thinking. We can't solve every problem in life and there will always be little hiccups, but I think the more you kind of focus in on that agreement, the better off you're probably going to be in the long run. 
yeah, remember every time I, I'm on the phone with a free coaching call, I'm always asking, do you listen to the podcast? So the point of this episode is to educate you that the two things I'm going to be asking about during this high level call is about where you are, your compensation, what that non-compete is and what your long-term objectives are. We're again, not attorneys, but we do have the ability to talk high level and just to make sure. And if there's a situation where you need an attorney, then we can uh, make those recommendations. Uh, or if there are certain clauses, we have relationships with attorneys can look at that and help you understand what those clauses are. But this is just one early, early piece of this puzzle so that you can come back to us two years from now or something after you've had a chance to work there and build your cash into the deal. I mean, I literally talked to somebody this afternoon that was a coaching call in the associate agreement and happened to be an orthodontist and just wanted me to look, hey, this particular corporate was going to give him $900 a day. And another corporate office was giving him $1,400 a day. And he really wanted to stay at the 900 because it was closer to where his home was. And so, you know, what I told him was the coaching was go ahead and communicate to that corporate office, let them know about the 1400, let them know that you prefer this and why. So I'm just setting up all of the communication skills to build a relationship and compliment for the offer and thank them to negotiate a little bit higher from a per diem, get his wages up. And then again, reminding him, come back to me in two years, reminding him about the six to 8% liquidity. Yes, I'm listening to the podcast. And so I know that they at least have a place where they're coming back. We feel like we're giving and educating. It's just where people go, I'm not listening. They're not, not learning anything and just say, look at this because you know they said they would do it. Those are shorter calls. So trying to motivate people, you know, that was, you know, you're being intentional this year and we want to love on as many people as we can, both in dentistry and outside of inspiring them and pushing people to be successful in life and being kind. So the kind of that kind free, but we want you to be also driven to do something from an ownership standpoint if all possible. That's right. Well, team, that was short and sweet. If you're a treadmill listener, push play on another episode. You've not run fast enough or long enough, but that's all we got for today. Thanks for joining us on episode 59 of Transition Talk. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and until next time. Thanks guys.